Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Everyday Church. We are a body of believers in Oklahoma City with the mission to live out our faith on a daily basis. Let's listen in as we hear a powerful message from God's Word. In your journey, in your life, have you ever met someone that was just on fire? Not not literally, okay, because... That would be a whole nother conversation. Let's just talk about spiritually. You knew that this person, you could see it and how they lived their life, and you thought, man, they are on fire for Jesus. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that was me yesterday. Or let's try to think of someone else, okay? Let's not be so prideful that we think, well, that's me. I'm, I'm on fire for Jesus now. Which you could be, and I hope so, and that's awesome. But what about in your life? You think of like, man, that's the epitome, or, or that would be the model, like this person loves Jesus, is on fire for Jesus. Now, some of you might even be thinking of some recent news and just something that's kind of public right now in the mainstream eye, and that is a person named Mr. Kanye West. Anyone ever heard of Kanye West? All right, a lot of you in this room have. Right now, he is very public with this faith in Jesus, and some would even say quite passionate and vocal. I love this little interview I just saw recently when he was on Jimmy Kimmel, and he said, would you consider yourself a Christian artist? And I said, I'm Christian everything. And I just love that response, and he's very vocal, and he just put out a new album, and it's gonna have a, like an IMAX experience with it, and it's all about Jesus is king. And a lot of people would think, well, there is no way Kanye would ever really put his faith and trust in Jesus. And he has a past. Okay, And as you read the Bible, you'll figure out a lot of those people in the Bible, too, had a past. And hold up, you probably got a past. But let's just move past that and say there are some skeptics that would probably say, ah, let's just kind of see how it plays out. It reminds me of when the disciples uh, came up to Jesus and said, this, this guy was casting out demons in your name, and we told him to stop. And he said, why? If he's for us, he's for us. He's not against us. Why don't tell him to stop. And so I pray that that as well. But typically, when a new believer puts their faith and trust in Jesus and has this conversion, knows that they have crossed over from death to life, the old has gone and the new has come, there is a fervor, a zeal, a fire for Jesus. And what's interesting, though, is we think they're crazy. <laughs> and those that have maybe put their faith and trust in Jesus for a while, we sometimes look at that and think, man, that, that, they're crazy to, to think they can make such a difference. They're, on so, they're so on fire for Jesus, they're a lunatic. And, and that they think they could charge hell with a water pistol, right? That's what we think. They're just kind of out of their mind thinking they could shoot the devil with that water pistol, right? There are two of them. But it's weird that we only say that about new believers. It seems like life hits, time passes, and those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we don't say that. We, we tend to lose our initial dreams and desires. I remember when I went off to seminary uh, and furthered my education and, and got my master's that people would say, seminary, when you go to seminary, it's actually called cemetery, and you're going to come out of there dead because that's what happened to people that go to seminary. It's a cemetery. And I said, no, I know, but... It is true, people that are, want to serve the Lord and be in ministry, sometimes they do go off and they gain so much head knowledge, they get puffed up with arrogance and so book smart that they lose the life of the Spirit. And today I want to talk about having an impact for the Lord. And I want you to ask this question, how much impact do I want to have? 
for Jesus? How much impact do I want to have for the kingdom of God with the rest of my life, no matter how long or short that may be? We tend to laugh at those who want to make a huge impact. We think, oh, yeah, whatever, that, that you think you could help the widow and orphan. You're so naive. Why would you give up time in the morning to pray for your coworkers and neighbors that they would come to know Jesus? How dumb. Why would you give up your Saturdays to serve the less unfortunate or to go to the shelter to help that one lower income elementary school? How naive is that person? We think that's just too far. We think they're taking this thing way too seriously. Maybe we're not taking it serious enough. Jesus indicates to us that we, you and me, those who have put their faith in Jesus, have the potential and ability to do even greater ministry than even Jesus did. Now, that should make you pause. Don't miss what I said. Jesus said we would do greater things than even what he did. And as you look at the screen, notice that he is capitalized. We're talking about Jesus. He said we would do greater things than him. If you have a Bible, I would love to show you this. We've looked at this in our series, but John chapter 14, Jesus is talking. And of course, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screen for you. Or if you have a smartphone or a device, there's these free apps that are awesome that, that have the word of God. Now listen to me, John chapter 14, verse 10. Jesus in his own words says, don't you believe that I am. Now notice in some passages that we're gonna read, Jesus, God, referring to himself as I am, in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. John 14, verse 11, just believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. We're going to talk about these miracles in a minute. But verse 12 says, I tell you the truth. Anyone, everyone say anyone. anyone. Who believes in me will do the same works I've done. There's our equal sign. And even greater works. There's a greater than. Because I am going to be with the Father. What? Jesus says, because I'm going away. Because I am leaving you, going back to heaven where I came from. You as a believer are going to do greater things than I even did here on earth. You're going to do greater. You're going to do the same thing, which we're like, wow, that's, even a, that's pretty crazy. But then he drops the, and even greater things. And I was like, you're, you're insane, Jesus. It seems so backwards, right? How many of you in this room have done something greater than Jesus did? How many of you have raised the dead? How many of you have walked on water? Any water walkers in here? How many of you have taken a number one Brahms combo and fed, a, fed all of downtown Oklahoma City? Raise your hands. Anyone? Anyone? No, right? But maybe we should look at it a different way. Because on the day of Pentecost, which Nico talked about a couple weeks ago, our family pastor, this is 10 days after Jesus left. Just like he said, I'm going to the Father. He ascends to the Father. He's crucified, resurrected, goes back to the Father. Ten short days later, the Holy Spirit comes. And in a small group of believers, all of a sudden, a huge number is added 
to this church, this brand new church. I'll just read you what Peter says that pricks the hearts. In fact, in, in Acts 2.37, I'll read it. It says, pierce. Peter's words pierce their hearts. They're, the spirit has come. He is enabled and empowered to share the gospel. People are hearing the gospel in their own language. There's a huge crowd of people. Peter seizes this moment. He shares about Jesus. They, uh, and they said, brothers, what should we do? What should we do about this message? Verse 38, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not coming any other way, okay? Your forgiveness of sins only comes through a faith in Jesus. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, I was waiting for that amen. That, that's a great verse right there, right? <laughs> he continued preaching for a long time, amen? amen. Yeah, whatever. All right. <laughs> Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed when what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Now, in Jerusalem, there's about 120 followers of Jesus, and there's some elsewhere but right here, 120, and then all of a sudden you have 300 people added in one gathering. That's better than what Jesus did, let's be honest. In his, he didn't have the exact same type of situation. And this is what he's referring to. Greater things are going to happen because I'm going away. And sure enough, right here, something greater happened. You can think about Jesus and his ministry. It was confined basically to Palestine, to one geographical area. But now because of the Holy Spirit, and God using circumstances like persecution, believers are sent everywhere and they take the gospel to all, all over the, the known world at the time, even greater than what Jesus did because of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus did great things. It's not debatable. But leading someone to a forgiveness of sins is a greater work than even making a lame man walk. You know why? Because the physical healing is temporary while the spiritual healing is eternal. That's even a greater work. And we like to focus on the lame man walking, and God can still do any miracle he wants. And possibly he just wants you to help someone have spiritual healing that would last forever. You know, all of the signs that Jesus did, all of the physical miracles he did were pointing to his greater work of reconciling us back to God. That's what Jesus was demonstrating. And that's why he said, look at the signs that I showed you. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one sent from God. And now because of the Holy Spirit, we have this task of reconciling, helping people be reconciled back to God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, all of this is a gift from God. He's talking about salvation. It's not earned. It's a gift. Listen to me. It is a gift. You can't earn it. It is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Amen. And he gave us this wonderful message. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. What's the message of reconciliation? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through who? Us. He is making his appeal through us. Us. That's what he's doing. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Who are we speaking for? Christ. 
See, Paul, he's really talking about himself. He's giving his testimony here. This is the message Christ has given us, given him, but that's for us too. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to speak on behalf of Jesus. We're his ambassador. An ambassador represents the affairs and the, uh, I guess, the name of another country, represents them to another group. We're the ambassador for Christ. We speak on behalf of Jesus. We represent him. Well, some people say, well, ambassadors, are, those are just the apostles, or that's for other people, not me. That's not true. You know, the book of Acts, which we've already read from in Acts chapter 2, it's this work where the Holy Spirit comes, the church is formed, and it's all about how it's the acts of the Spirit. It's the acts of the apostles via the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the empowering that God gives through this relationship with Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's all these supernatural acts that take place. But the book of Acts never ends. Now, sure, it goes from Acts 28, 31 to Romans 1, 1. But the literal book concludes with this cliffhanger. Paul's still waiting release from prison. We don't know what happens in, in the book of Acts. It just kind of leaves us hanging. We don't know if he's going to be released and he's going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, if he's going to send people, or if he's going to be killed. We're just kind of left wondering what happens? Will Paul die? Will he go on another mission trip? But the book just kind of fades off from there. It reminds me of my former favorite TV show. And I'm going to date myself here, but uh, I've got to let you know, I was a big 24 fan back in the day. Can I get an amen to that? Anyone? Yeah. That's really sad that some of you don't even know the goodness of Jack Bauer. Okay. He's just below Jesus. This guy... <laughs> He, man, he, he's better than Chuck Norris. Now, some of you will fight me for that, but yes. Come on now. Let's get real. All right, never mind. Chuck's the man. But so 24, I actually got hooked on this show because of the cliffhanger scenario. Every episode, you, they end with something, and, and maybe some of you don't like it because it was so dramatic, but it ends this dramatic scene, and you're like, I got to watch the next one. See, back in the day, my wife and I, we were newly married, and I'd watched a couple of, on TV, and it was on a marathon. I was like, I need to get, in, I'm interested in the show. And so back in the day, some of you young people, like, Macy, this is going to freak you out. But Netflix used to mail you DVDs. Huh? Dre, did you know that? No, you didn't, did you? Yeah. Do you know what a mailbox is? Okay. Yeah. Eighth grader, okay? So they would, you would subscribe. Now, here's the thing, they, they, which they still try to do this digitally, and they would stream this, but you would get this free 30-day 30 30 trial, and I love using those trials. And, and so I would get the free DVDs, and I was like, I'm going to try 24. And I didn't think my wife would like it, so I'd wait for her to go to bed, or, or she'd go cook dinner, and then I'd put it on, and she caught some. I was like, what are you watching a show without me? I was like, ah, you would like it. And she loved it. So we just watched 24. Her lunch breaks, everything. We're just watching 24, 24, 24. And we just went through all these seasons. So I loved this show. But every episode was this cliffhanger. Like, what's coming next? Acts ends with this cliffhanger. And guess what? We're, we're second acts. Okay, what Jesus began to do and teach on earth, he continues to do in and through us. We are second acts. We are the next book of acts, even to this day. We are to live it out. I think there's even a purpose to it, just kind of being in this cliffhanger. Because it's our turn to step into the spirit and live a life that glorifies God through the empowering that the spirit gives us. That we would do even greater things than Jesus. 
And if you read Acts, there's some incredible things happening. But there's incredible things happening today. Last week, we shared our partnership with Centerwell through Africa. We have an orphanage that we help really build in Kenya. And they were here sharing us the story. And some of you heard it. And some of you, last week, it was the first time. But it was a supernatural act of God. There was this lady that owned a little bookstore that took kids off the street because she just had a heart for these kids and was taking care of them. Kids literally thrown in the trash, left on the side of the road that she would take in just to love on and care for. But she knew that she couldn't do that forever. And God gave her this vision that someone was going to come and take over and lead that for her. And that she had done a a good job at least starting something. Then all of a sudden, our friend David from Tulsa and, and had met Paul in Kenya. And they are at this lady's little place, little orphanage, run down. Not to be crass, but a joke of a place, really, in our standard. And her say, whoa, God's telling me, you're the one. He said, that's coming. Ah, what? We don't want that burden. And then she leaves because she's sick, and she knows her time's short. And right before she dies, she says, tell David, Paul, it's theirs. And then David and Paul, through the Spirit's prompting, take over. And now they've built this brand new orphanage and take care of even more kids And they take care of widows and they helped even lead some of them to Jesus. Listen, that's a miracle. That is the supernatural activity of God. And to deem it anything less or less than what Jesus did or what we see in the Bible is is, uh, wrong. Let me just put it that way. That's not right because it is of God and it's supernatural and it's a miracle. So yes, Jesus opening the eyes of a man born blind is incredible. And he can even still do that this day. But don't lose sight of opening someone's eyes to the spiritual truth of the gospel is an internal, eternal action and is a miracle. And so who knows what the Holy Spirit could do through your obedience? Who knows what he could do through your daily yes, Lord statement? His desire is to do something in you and through you and for it to be incredible. See, I think our tendency is to say, well, that all is a back then thing. God just did stuff back then. He is a God that worked in the past, but not today. And sometimes we'll see him work in the past and we'll make a monument out of it. And the Bible speaks against that. In Isaiah chapter 43, it says this, I am the Lord who opened a way through waters, making a dry path through the sea. Pretty cool miracle. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt, those that had oppressed you, okay, had put them in slavery. With all his chariots and horses, I drew them beneath the waves. They drowned, their life snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. This was a mighty miracle and movement of God. But forget all that, he says. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God's like, yeah, I I did that. That was me, my fingerprints. I did that in the past, but hold up, I got more to do. So listen, in our life, spiritual markers are good. Spiritual markers are great when they serve as catalysts for continued faith. 
We can't look to the past and just relegate God to the past and say, he worked here, but he can't work now. No, that spiritual marker is good if it says, wait, God has done it before. He can do it again, and he can do even greater things now. And so God is not regulated to the past. He's not a God of the past. He is a mighty God for his people in the present. His name is not I was. What is it? It's I am. That's our God. He is a God of the present. He is the great I am. He's, he's always been, he has been God of the past, and he's God of the future, but he is right now with us today. He is the great I am. And so we don't elevate past miracles to the point where it hinders us to move forward in victory with God. And we don't even need to focus on the fact that God is using us, which is a pretty cool thing, but it's not about us, it's about him. Because the reality is God doesn't need you. It's not like he's wringing his fingers and like, what am I going to do. He doesn't call us from a place of need, but he graciously uses us. We get the grace for the task, but he always gets the glory. It's awesome that he wants to use us, and thank you that we get to be along the journey and be his hands and feet, but it's not because he's struggling of how to solve things. He just graciously calls us, and so he gives us grace, but he gets the glory. And he insists on not sharing it. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Listen, we, he doesn't need our help. We simply offer our lives to him because the gospel demands it. The gospel demands it, that we put our yes on the table. And that's a positive thing. Because the weight of the responsibility for the mission doesn't rest on our shoulders. It rests on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus calls you, the pressure is not on you to accomplish the task. Your role is to say yes. Your role is to step into the moment. But it's God's role to produce the results. So shake off that responsibility that the results are on you. You might feel an urge, a sense from the Spirit of God to share Jesus with someone. And if you step into that moment and they don't put their faith and trust in Jesus, did you fail? Nope. Ain't on you. That's God's job. He's the only one that can save them anyway. He might put on your heart to give something. And it might not accomplish exactly what you thought it would accomplish. Not, not your job. Your job is to step into the moments that God has put your name on. We follow and we're obedient as he leads. And if you're following him, he's going to lead you to opportunities that are divine, that are meant just for you. You can't do it all. And you shouldn't ever feel guilty that you can't do it all. We have to be faithful in stewarding the responsibility that was given specifically to us, where the Holy Spirit said, Carly, that's you. Jill, that's you. Matt, that's you. Put your name on it. I don't know if you've ever shared a refrigerator. Maybe it's a workplace refrigerator or maybe a... a college dorm where you had one, a roommate or something. Crazy people, what do they do? They put their names all over their stuff, right? Which I would be one of those. I don't want anybody touching my food, right? 
So I'm gonna put my name on that shared refrigerator. Now you can see some of these pictures like, I spit on it, don't touch it. You know, people will go to extreme measures. I'm sure there's like anal Karen that writes 67 french fries on this package. Like they've counted them out. If one's gone, everyone's in trouble. But the Holy Spirit is gonna put your name on different situations and circumstances and those are the ones you must step into. We must always be continually in a position where the Spirit would lead us. And so I wanna wrap this way this morning. I wanna give us a couple different postures for us to be in as we follow the Lord so that we can step into those divine opportunities and moments that are out there for us. See, it's very important for us to know we, when we wait on the Lord, we're actively waiting. We're not just sitting back. He has given us a life to lead. He has put, given us a circle of influence. He's already called us to some sort of job, neighborhood, family. There are already opportunities to there, and we live our life for his glory. But as we live our life and as we actively follow, there are going to be moments that we need to step into and obey. For us, for us to hear that, one, we're going to be in a posture of surrender. We have to surrender all authority to the Lord. We cannot proceed in our walk with Jesus with any ounce of us saying, I'm the boss, applesauce, right? We cannot say there's any authority that should be mine. It is all, God, it's yours. I surrender to your lordship. You are the boss. Lead me. James 4, 7. So humble yourselves before God. This idea of humbling ourselves before God is all throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 5, 6. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. It is hard to be prideful. It is hard to be arrogant. It is hard to call the shots when you are at the feet of Jesus. When you are at his feet, it is hard to say, look at me. I make the shots. No, no. We humble ourselves before him. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the who? I don't know. This is a scripture verse we should all know, okay? Let me just say it again. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the ha. Huh. So you're like hungry. No, humble. <laughs> okay, count of three. Let's say humble. One, two, three. Humble. It's kind of a weird word, right? But God opposes the proud but gives grace to the we must bow before him in a posture of surrender. And actually, and that's not just a one-time deal. It is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but there is this daily surrendering of saying, okay, as I start this day, it's yours. I surrender to you, Luke 9, 23. Jesus, he turns to the crowd. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, which is me laying down, denying myself. That is a posture of surrender. And he says, do that daily and follow me. This is not a one-time occurrence. We daily lay down our will and ask the Holy Spirit to live through us to make much of Jesus in the lives of others. When we surrender to his authority, now we're in a better position to be led by the Spirit. A posture of surrender and then a posture of sacrifice. Because there is a little difference in those two words. See, once you surrender, you have declared there's a leader of your life. You've surrendered to them. But the sacrifice is the proof. In Romans 12.1, hey Rome, by the way, did you write this? No, this is someone else wrote it. Okay, Romans 12.1 says, and so dear brother 
and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and he will find this acceptable. This is the truly way to worship him. See, when we become a living sacrifice, we offer all of what we have and what has been given to us back to God. It has been given up as a sacrifice on the altar, but what Paul says in Romans 12, 1, is that we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. So our time, our talent, our treasure is all held loosely before God as a posture of sacrifice. We've surrendered, declaring him boss, and the proof is, here it is, take what you want and use it. It's all yours. Every bit of it. My time, yours, God. My talent, whatever you give me, it's yours, God. It, I am a living sacrifice. It's all yours. On the altar, my treasure, all yours, God. Laid out here for you, whatever you want to do. But when we put our foot down, we say, no, no, no. I'm going to hold this tightly. My resources, my finances, my time. We have lost, let me put it this way. When we do that, we're, we're no longer full of God, we're full of ourselves. And the reason, let's be frank, some of us are not experiencing and encountering the supernatural power of God is you're so full of yourself, there's no room for God. You just put a lid on that puppy, said mine. God's not gonna use Someone that's full of themselves until you're broken, poured out as an offering unto him. Here it is. I'm telling you, you think this is so free. You're captive when you hold on to it. Captive. It's a prison. There's freedom when you just say, here it is. <laughs> it's yours anyway. You gave it all anyway. I'm not, I wouldn't be breathing if you didn't allow me to be breathing. You could say, breath stop, and it all over. And so we hold this loosely. And to be broken over our selfishness and sinfulness is going to take us remembering how deep and how wide and how loved God truly, how God's love truly is. Going back to the cross, going back to the sacrifice of Jesus, understanding the gospel. Because when we understand the gospel, it will overflow into gratefulness. Extravagant grace produces extravagant givers in all resources. But when you remember the grace that was given to you, you got no other option to say, here it is all back. You are extravagant with me, Jesus. I'm extravagant with you back. For example, let's say today you go to Slim Chickens. Bok Bok. And you're there. They got free kids' meals on Sundays. Not to give them a plug, okay? They're 99 cents now? Or were they always 99 cents? Okay, let's use another example. You're going to Cane's. Even though you got to pay, it's better chicken. But you're at Cane's. Can't go to Chick-fil-A today, right? So let's just go with Cane's. Those dogs at Slim Chicken's. Greedy. All right, so you're at Cane's, and you're purchasing your meal, and a friend is with you, and you order, and then all of a sudden you're going to pay, and they step in and say, I got this on me today. And they purchase your meal. What are you going to do? Hopefully, you're grateful. And you say, thank you. 
that was a nice gesture, right? You had the money to pay for it, but they did that, and so you're very grateful for that. And if anyone ever does anything nice, always be grateful, never entitled. Be grateful for what has been given to you. But let's suppose you're at Cane's, and somehow the IRS has tracked you down. And they're like, sir, madam, we found you. We knew you would be at Cane's today. And you owe $900,000 in back taxes. If you don't give that right now, we off to jail. And then your buddy, your friend, steps and says, hey, how much was that again? $900,000. They pull out a checkbook, write a check for a million dollars. And these are friends you know it won't bounce, okay? This is important to the story. <laughs> it's a million dollars. They tell the IRS, here you go, keep the change. What are you going to do? Probably fall at their feet and say, my Lord, command me. What is it you want? I'll do it. Because this extravagant grace is going to produce this extravagant response. There was a whole lot more forgiven than one meal. But boy, if someone just gave a million dollars and got you out of jail, you better be grateful, right? But do that in an extravagant way. When we put our eyes on Jesus to understand what he's done, we're much more likely to hold a posture of sacrifice. When we realize how great a debt we owe to God, we become a willing servant, eager to be poured out for God and his kingdom. That's who we become because we got a proper perspective of the gospel. God calls us to be generous, not because he needs it, but because he wants us to be like him, a generous God. He raises our standard of living so that we can raise our standard of giving. It's not something that he wants from us as much as something he wants for us. David, at the end of his life, King David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, wanted to provide an, an, uh, a sacrifice to God. There was this land that he wanted to build an altar on and to sacrifice and worship God. The owner of this field said, David, you're the king, you can... You can have this field. It's yours. You're the king. You could just take it. And so I'm not charging you. I don't want to get up in this mess and upset the king. It's your field. David said, no, no, no. He says, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. Can I just hold up for a second? I'm not as good as David. <laughs> I like free stuff, and if someone would have said, here, it's yours, I would have said, hashtag blessed, I'm good. They just gave me that field, hallelujah, that is from the Lord. But no, David said, "Mm -mm, I'm I'm gonna buy this, because if I'm worshiping the Lord, it's gonna cost something. I'm not gonna do no freebie for God. I'm going all out, I'm buying this. And so David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. He purchased the animals he would sacrifice In fact, later, this altar and where David gives this offering to the Lord is where the temple is constructed. It's pretty cool. We must be in a position of sacrifice. And if we're not, we're not going to be fully used by the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, what kind of impact do you want to make? What kind of impact do you want to make for the kingdom? What do you want to do? For Jesus, if it's just to live an okay life or a good life, you're falling short of what God wants to do in you and through you. 
If you just want to be a moral person, that's not all Jesus died for. He said you're going to do greater things. And so if you want an adventure, get in a position of surrender. Get in a position of sacrifice and buckle up. You're going on a ride of your life. And he's going to take you on an incredible adventure where the supernatural power, the supernatural power of God does some pretty incredible, amazing things. But if you ain't all in, you're not going to see it. And so today, trust, jump, surrender, sacrifice, watch him work. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for our time together. I thank you for a morning worshiping you, being in your presence, hearing from you, loving on you, and loving on each other. Thank you. For your sacrifice. I'm going to pause my prayer. No one looking around. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know I've talked about that this morning. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. You literally could say your own prayer. And it's not necessarily the, the magical words you would use. It's really about your heart. And so if someone would today would say. You know what I've never really put my faith in Jesus. I've never done that, and I, I want to be honest. I thought I would be okay with God by my good deeds. I just want you to know that's not going to work. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, to pray something like this. Just pray it in your heart. Say something like this. God, I do admit I've messed up before. I've sinned. I don't deny that. I admit that. I have made mistakes. And so please forgive me of every sin Every time I messed up, forgive me. The past ones, the ones that have been recent, and God, even forgive me for the ones that are in the future. I pray for a forgiveness of all my sin. And I believe right now, Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. He died for me. He rose again. He came back to life. Be my Lord and Savior. Take over. Be my boss. I don't understand it all, God. I admit, I don't get it all. But right now, the best way that I know how, I commit to follow you. If you just prayed that prayer, listen, I believe you crossed over from death to life. And as a church, we want to help you. And so no one looked around. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, if you're on Facebook Live, listen, send us a message. We want to know. We want to help. If you're in this room and you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, would you slip your hand up just so I can see that's you? Because we want to help you and be all that we can. In a little bit, we'll collect some cards and we'll figure out a way to connect with you. If you're in this room right now listening to my voice and say, John, I have put my faith and trust in Jesus. I know that I am a believer. Would you slip your hand up? I've done that before. I have given my life to Jesus. Keep your hand up for me. I know that. I put my faith. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you can put them down. Thank you for being honest with me. I thank you those that didn't raise your hand. Listen, if you want to ask or talk to someone, we want to give you that opportunity. So Michael's just going to lead us in a song. If you want to bow for a minute, if you need to pray, if you want to come and have someone pray over you, if you want to talk with someone about what it means to follow Jesus, we want to give you that moment. So we're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. And in this time, we've set aside for the Lord to speak to you directly. So if you need to sit, sit. If you need to kneel, kneel. If you need to stand, stand. If you need to pray, pray. If you need to sing, sing. Whatever it is, 
under the banner of Jesus Christ, meet with him right now. Let him speak to your heart. Let him work in you. This is Pastor John. Thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Church Podcast. For more information on us or if you happen to make a spiritual decision during this message, please let us know and go to our website, www.everyday.church. There's an email link that you can click on, and we would love to hear from you. If there's anything going on that has happened during this message, if the Lord has spoken to you or you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Also, if there's a prayer request or concern, then you can email us, and we would love to take the time to pray for you and respond in any way that we can. Again, thank you so much for listening. God bless.